Lita Herman, welcome back. Thank you, Gary. I'm so excited to, to be here. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's awesome to see you again. Um, first of all, I just want to say, I didn't get a chance to say this to you when we were just talking before the episode, but your uh, studio, your your space is so beautiful. Um, Thank you. The, the Alchemy Healing Center in Northampton, Massachusetts, where I went for my treatment last month. Um, I will say that when I get treatments, I've done, I've gone to a lot of different acupressurists. I've gone to a lot of different acupuncturists, <clears throat> really any kind of healing modality for whatever reason. And maybe I'm, I don't think it's like I'm a snob. I just think that I need the energy to be on point. Like I can't, I've been to some of the, some renowned acupuncturists that do amazing work. Um, but their offices for whatever reason, like will be in like midtown Manhattan with like fluorescent lighting and like, you feel like you're kind of in a cubicle and um, I, it just doesn't feel very healthy. It doesn't feel, I don't feel at peace, you know, and the treatments yes. are, you know, could be great, but I just feel like it's lack, if it, the ambiance and the environment isn't done right, it kind of doesn't round out the whole treatment for me. Um, and so your space, and I took some pictures of it and some video, which I'll probably post on our social accounts. Yeah. Well, it's just, um, you've, you've kind of curated it in a really just beautiful way. And it's open, there's a lot of space, but it's also not sterile and it's not, the aesthetic is, is warm, even though there's a lot of, it's like lofty. Um, yeah. And I think that that alone is really important and it makes a nice impression to somebody who's coming in. So kudos to you on putting together a beautiful Thank space. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I have to say, it's uh, the co-owner of Alchemy Healing Center, Jay McElroy. You know, it's really her amazing design sense that put that together. And just coming together, the two of us, you know, and me wanting that sense of peace and, and something that doesn't feel like a doctor's office, that doesn't feel sterile, uh, that feels welcoming and different, you know, not you know, we so the the building is actually in an old school building. It's over a hundred. Oh, I was going to say, is that a school building? Yeah, yeah. It really felt like a school, felt like a converted uh, yeah. school building, which <laughs> on its own would be really sterile with the brick and all that. Like, yeah. not it's not one of the ones just for people that are listening. Not a schoolhouse like it's wooden from like nineteen ten, yeah. like little house on the prairie. This is more of a nineteen forties, nineteen fifties bricks kind of school building. But you've converted it in a way that's yes. super cool and super yes. um, warm and intimate. Yes. It's, yeah. yes. Props to Jay it's, for that. Yes. And then the whole theme of it is um, alchemy. We had a photo from the mountain where we're going to talk about the person today, Sun Si Miao, who created the Ghost Point treatment. His mountain, I, I took a photo there of um, a yin-yang symbol on its side, which is the whole theme of alchemy is represented by that. And then every door in the center has the yin-yang symbol on its side. And the entryway ha is, is meant to look like the door that, that mm. I think, Gary, you mentioned the door. Where You're like, where's the door? Where's the I'm door? Embarrassed. I'm like, I'm going to make a confession. It's in China. <laughs> I'm going to make a confession to everybody here. I drove up a couple hours to this space. I'm outside, you know, it's pretty much time for the appointment. I'm waiting in the car because I'm looking at this building and I think it's the right address, but uh, on, on the Alchemy Healing Center's website, they have this huge red door. And I always thought that was the front door of their space. So I'm looking around and, and I'm like, where is this building? I don't see it. And I came, I just walked up to the building. I th thought it might be. 
And I called them and they're like, yeah, it's us. And I didn't really get it. I'm like, okay. And I go inside and I ask Lita like, hey, by the way, where's the red door that I saw? It's it's not here. And I, that's why I was lost. And Lita uh, very compassionately let me know, no, 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 that's that's just a symbol. That's, that's a door in, in China, it's not our door. And so I was humbled, but also I thought it was pretty cool in finding that out. Yeah. 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 Um, so anyway, so anybody who's listening who has any interest in, in, in um, any kind of alchemical treatments and going to Lita's center, just know that it's beautiful and oh, you'll feel you. warmth and you'll feel an intimate vibe the minute you walk in. So that's, uh, that's my early plug for, for checking out the center. So, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So I want to I talk about, I, so for every, everybody who hasn't listened to the first episode you and I did a few weeks back. Um, we had talked about what, what kind of got you into alchemy. We talked about what alchemy was. We discussed what, what in various treatments were. We discussed the topics of your book behind you there on the shelf through the mystery gate and talked about how you structured it. Um, and then we discussed how I was going to do a treatment with you and the treatment that you had recommended was the 13 ghost points treatment. Um, and so we sort of started to talk about what that would look like. Um, but obviously until you get into it and until, you know, until I experience it, there's, it's, it's kind of abstract. It's kind of in theory, but now this episode <laughs> is intended to kind of inform people about what my experience of the treatment was. I'd like to hear about what your experience of the treatment was. And then, um, have you kind of first prefaced it by talking about what exactly is a thir 13 ghost points treatment? and sort of why you felt like it would be a good treatment for me to, uh, to, to, to go through. And then we'll talk about um, sort of what, the, what I've experienced since then, and you can kind of opine on, on that, on those observations. Great. So, yeah, so without further ado, why don't you kind of just help people understand uh, what exactly is a 13 ghost points treatment? Okay, so the 13 ghost points was put together by the guy that, that where the door comes from. His name's Sun Si Miao, and that door photo that we, we fashioned the whole clinic after was from his place. And Sun Si Miao didn't invent the ghost points. The ghost points were invented much earlier, like BCE, like 407, you know, in the 300s, so... Maybe since Simeon lived in the 500, so uh, I think it was like seven or 800 years before. So they had been around a long time. Bian K was his name, who created 21 ghost points initially. At least that's what we think. I mean, these are all like pre-written down uh discussions. But but then um Sun Simeon is like a legend, you know. I mean, he's he's known uh as the king of medicine. And he he put in his writings that there are these 13 points. Now, he selected them. And he said, whenever that there's something disturbing a person's spirit, just it's a disturbance. So you could think of that as um, an obsessive way of thinking. You could think of that as extreme anxiety. You could think of that as, um, yeah, like OCD. You could think of that as just... Uh, depression, you know, all these things, but something is disturbing a person's shen. So the shen is the spirit, and that's that's what that means. And so um, he put these together as a way to treat people who have some kind of disturbance. 
And he called it the 13 ghost points. And there's a famous ode or a song that he wrote that describes how to do this treatment. And so, you know, when I heard about this treatment many years ago now, I was fascinated with this idea that, you know, acupuncture in general is trying to kind of get homeostasis and balance in the system, in the, in the body. And that's great, but it doesn't address the really old traumas and hurts and things that have created maybe some of these other disturbances in, in a person. And so while it can help with some of the emotional, you know, stuff that's coming up, it might ease it. It doesn't get rid of it. It doesn't like clear it. And so Sun Tzu Miao's point was we have to do something that's deeper than that. We have to get in at a different level. And that's where the ghost points came in. And so that's kind of like what I started doing now, probably 15 years ago, um, was really get into doing that. And I, in the beginning, I only did that with people who were severely impacted in their lives by these issues. And then over time, I think I said this last time, over time, I started to realize, wow, so many of us need this. I mean, anxiety is almost a buzzword right now. It's like everybody has anxiety. I think it's like cultural at this point. So I, you know, honestly, it's hard for me to find someone who doesn't need this treatment in terms of like that kind of issue, because, you know, anxiety is our minds just out of control, just trying to work out, you know, the future, trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out. And depression is our minds trying to work out the past. It's like, oh, if that hadn't happened, if this hadn't happened. Um, and so the 13 ghost points can address sort of these these things that we're holding in our bodies and often cellularly in our bodies, like, you know, somatic work, somatic psychology has become a big deal right now because we're realizing that it's not just the mind, that it has a seat in the body. It has a place in the body that these things get stored. And the ghost points are working vibrationally in the body. Actually, we're vibrating points so that it releases these, these cellular patterns that, that relate to our emotional states. So, yeah. And, yeah. and so speaking of that, I'll just give one um, anecdote about my experience. So when you said it was a vibrational treatment, I kind of didn't really understand it at first because it was theoretical. It was sort of just, mm -hmm. you're saying it and my conceptually, intellectually, I understood it. Right. But until I laid down on the table and we actually went through the points and you were, you were um, administering the points, it wasn't until then when I was like, oh, okay, actual vibration. Because I'll just say there was one point in particular, which I had let you know on the back of my neck. And what point is that exactly? You, that point is called do 16 and it relates to wind. It's called ghost pillow. Like when you lie on a pillow, that's the spot like on the back of your head under your occiput that's being supported by a pillow. And what's the significance of that point? That point is, I, I believe that in order for us to sleep at night in, in deep sleep, we have to not be vigilantly watching the world around us to protect ourselves. So if you think like if you're sleeping in a place that's unsafe, you can't settle into deep sleep. So the ghost pillow is about deep sleep. Can I get into that really deep sleep at night? It's also about, because a lot of those sort of fears that cause us to be so vigilant 
those fears come from unconscious beliefs. Like we can say, hey, it's safe. It's fine. Like there's nothing here that's that's a problem. But you might have PTSD from some past event when you were sleeping. And so then it doesn't matter your conscious mind, what it's thinking. The unconscious beliefs are what's disturbing the sleep. So it's, it's, it's primarily a sleep point, but I say it's for unconscious beliefs as well. Interesting. Yeah, that definitely resonates. Uh, these are issues that I definitely contend with. I've had spotty sleep because of these exact things, being feeling like yeah. I got to sleep with one eye open, that that I'm not safe That's even when it. I'm in a really safe place. And it kind of ex- explains why of all the points, that's the one that kind of, I actually felt physical, physiological vibration in my chest to the point that I was be- overcome by it. And it felt as if I was going to have like an emotional breakthrough. It felt as if like I was being overwhelmed and I was probably mm-hmm. about to start to cry for no reason I, or for, right. for, for, in my mind, no reason, right? right? But it felt like I was about to start to cry and... I was kind of cool with it. I was kind of like, whoa, feel this emotion. It was kind of on one level, on one hand, it was a little like, whoa, I might be out of control in a minute. I might not be in control of what my body's about to do. Um, so there's a little fear around that. And But then also it was kind of like the, the part of me that wants to self-explore. It was like, let's, let's move forward. Let's go. Let's see what happens here. Um, and I was kind of on the cusp of it. And I probably should have let you know if I realized after the fact that that was happening, you know, greater than I did. I think I brought it up, but it was not really emphatic about it. Cause then we could have stayed there a little bit and who knows uh, what kind of, um, you know, reaction I would have had. But the reason I bring it up is because you say it's a vibrational treatment. And it was finally at that point that I realized, oh, there's actual vibration happening in my body. This is a real thing. This is not just a conceptual, that's not a buzzword you throw onto the treatment. It quite literally feels like there's a vibration happening within my for me, it went to the chest from the neck. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was amazing to experience that. It really felt, I felt alive. I felt like, okay, here we are. Like, I'm not apathetic. I'm not numb. Mm-hmm. I'm not not feeling anything. I'm I'm really feeling something powerful here. And it was That's really so awesome. cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And the other thing, you know, Gary is like, okay, so that point gets in at your deep unconscious level. So you don't know why... Like these are things you don't remember. So, or maybe you remember, but you haven't thought of, and it's not coming up to your conscious mind. And so that like, I didn't know why I'm going to cry. Like I just have the feeling that I'm going to cry. That's a typical thing for that point. And I want to say that like, I meet people who every point in this treatment is huge like that. And then I meet a lot of people like you, Gary, where it's one or two points that really stand out because that's where you stored your stuff. So, right. You d- you haven't had the extreme amount of you know trauma in your life. You know you've you've had, relatively speaking, a pretty decent life, and of course, like I said, everyone uh, on this planet maybe for more than twenty years has had at least some trauma, but it but it may not be like this overarching, overwhelming thing. So not every point was like hitting home because there really wasn't much to work with. But this point for you, that's the one you reported that was like really big, got got to be really big. And the good news is like, because Gary and I moved on eventually, we spent a bunch of time on that point. Each of these points can be up to an hour long. And, you know, maybe for Gary, we should have spent an hour. But, you know, eventually I felt that the point cleared and we moved on. And so 
What's really cool is then we can go back and do that point again, just the one point, because we know that sort of like maybe has multiple layers, you know, like an onion. And perhaps that day, that's what we needed to to do. And then another day, you know, we could eventually go back and just work with the one point instead of all 13. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Cause I was going to ask you actually, after we discuss the experience of it all, like what's, what then is the follow-up? Like what, what, yeah. what, where do you take it from there? But before we go there, um, I just want to comment on a few of my sort of sensory experiences there, because Great. when you walk in, um, Lita and I first chat, we talk about kind of what's going on. And there's a, a period of time where we discuss a little bit, not a lot, but mm-hmm. get into some discussion, um, about sort of what, you know, what's coming up for me and, and, and kind of what, um, what's going on in, in, in my life in some ways. And then we get into, uh, pretty sure you took a, a you took pulses, right? Took a, did a pulse diagnosis and yes. you were able to determine as it, as Chinese medicine practitioners do, you were able to determine a lot from taking my pulses and feeling where they were, feeling the quality of the pulses. For those who don't know what a pulse diagnosis is, can you just kind of give a summary of that? Yeah, sure. So uh, it's basically a little bit like reflexology, if you think about it. Like when you, when people say, "Oh, a point on your foot relates to your, you know, your, you know, liver or whatever," and so it's 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 actually also there's a reflexology where the points on your wrists relate to different organs, and there's six positions, three on each hand, and each position relates to two of the organs. So that's a total of 12. So we say there are 12 primary meridians. So like the first position on this hand, on my left hand is the heart meridian. And so when I, when I put my finger there, I'm listening to the heart and, and just sort of assessing like, oh, is it, does it feel relaxed? Is it tight? And is it, you know, stressed? Is it um, skipping beats? Is it, you know, there's all kinds of things that can happen whether or fast a pulse or really, really rapid pulse or a slow pulse. So these are all things that we evaluate. And then that information really just for regular acupuncture, that gives us a lot of information about what to do with a person energetically in a treatment. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I've had that many times in, in pr- pretty much every acupressurist or acupuncturist I've seen usually does start with a pulse diagnosis. Um, right. But it's, it's, uh, it's, it was interesting to see it in this setting because I didn't know if, you know, given that this is such a sort of elaborate, in my, in my mind, such a big uh, treatment, right? So it's, it's many hours and it's just, you're spending so much time with each point. Whereas in acupuncture, normally it's a 45 to 60 minute session. You're doing a bunch of yeah. points. If anything, um, you might have the needles in for 10, 15, 20 minutes and that's about it. Uh, this was a whole different sort of atmosphere. Um, so it's cool that that, that that consistency is still there. You still, you're still measuring what's going on beforehand and kind of what the result of the treatment was after with that pulse diagnosis. Yes. Um, one of the things I, I want to talk about is you have music playing in the background. And normally if you go to an acupressurist or acupuncturist uh, session, it's sort of nice background noise. Sort of like, yeah. oh, this is, you know, we put some peaceful Zen 
flute or something or some yes. natural yes. Uh, some rain <laughs> maybe some rain in the background you know uh, just to make you at ease and it's beautiful I actually love it but um, it doesn't really have necessarily any true significance specifically okay. to the treatment whereas right. in this case you've sort of cultivated this interesting component to the the process to the treatment where the music uh, is kind of randomized and uh, you say it has significance to the treatment itself. Can you just kind of talk about that a little bit? Yes. So years ago, we we didn't have iPods when I started. It's hard to believe a time before iPods, but uh, we we had people bring CDs because the treatment is meant to be vibrational. And in ancient times, the treatment had actual musicians playing, you know, cymbals and drums and flute and all these things. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So the idea is that that music is moving some of these deep um, buried things. And so again, vibration in the, in the sound waves around you, plus the vibration of my fingers on the points, you know, together start to break up old patterns. And so when the, when the seat, when we worked with the CDs, it didn't work so great because people brought their favorite music and it was nice, but that's, that wasn't going to stir them up necessarily. And so once I, I got an iPod years ago, I started just putting tons and tons of music that was randomly selected. So it was all genres, no holding back, not just pretty music, but, you know, punk rock and heavy metal and everything you could imagine. And so now I have 20,000 songs on a computer that we just shuffle. And the idea is that it, it sort of guides me as the practitioner, it guides the treatment, and it also really evokes a lot of emotion for people in general. And some people are less attuned to music and they don't notice, and that's fine. I don't, you know, we don't need to make a big deal out of it. But sometimes it's so kind of miraculous. Like some of the music that comes up, people are just blown away. I call it, it's your divine DJ because it, it, it just happens over and over and over and over again. And a lot of people know that when you shuffle music, like some really interesting songs come up. But this, this is freaky weird. Like it happens over and over and over again. Yeah, I thought it was a really cool element because you kept kind of pointing the attention to it. And when I would notice it... Um, it definitely had that effect. It wasn't, it was not background music, you know, like I'm used to in a session. It was kind of something that not only did it uh, provoke, but it got me away from sort of being in my head and being conceptual about what you were doing and conceptual about the points. Mm -hmm. And what I can do, what I tend to do is put too much, I go into concept, I go into intellectual mode where I'll think, well, if this point is supposed to be doing this, then I should be aware of X, Y, and Z. And I think that I have to like present myself or like do things that are going to open me up to mm -hmm. those points when in reality, um, it's probably, uh, you know, it's sort of a disconnect if I'm doing that, if I'm just more in my body, not doing my best to kind of not really get focused on thoughts. And I can kind of focus on, for example, the music, pay attention to what, what, it's, what the lyrics are, what the melody is making me feel I could be more immersed in in the treatment and also yeah. I'll be impacted by the significance of what those songs are so I, I found that to be a really cool element to it as well um, and, and I think you and, you give songs to people that were in the treatment after to them after the fact is that right yes yeah 
yeah. uh, just so they can have it and they can kind of appreciate it. Yes. And um, the other thing, Gary, with you in particular, we talked last time about you being wood and the wood element. Um, what you just described, it's really important because like um, there might be another elemental type, like especially metal, that is going to listen to the music naturally. They're going to be really attuned to it um, because they're just really more aware of their environment and not thinking so much. And so wood is the opposite. Wood is like, I got to, you know, constantly be on top of things. I got to like be aware. Like you said, I, I I wanted to be in control when this point kind of made me feel out of control. That's a wood element thing. And so I know that. So I know that if I call attention to the, oh, this song is actually saying exactly the sentiment of what you're talking about right now. Like, that's really cool. And then you get really interested in that. And then you get out of your head. And so just knowing your element, I was able to kind of bring in some things that would able would enable you to kind of settle more into the treatment, get out of your head, um, get into your heart. Uh, so that's, that's another thing about the music that is really handy for certain types of people who, you know, maybe are, you know, overseeing everything all the time. That's, that's your element. Yeah. And that, that is me in a nutshell perfectly. So that was... <laughs> I couldn't be more appreciative of the music for that reason because it's, it's something I contend with. I don't love it. It's just is there. I've yeah. got to work with them, my condition. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it, it is what it is. And actually on that point, before we started the treatment, we did this series of uh, walking, uh, uh, pacing back and forth outside the treatment uh, room. And, and you were looking for something in me in the way that I was walking, I guess, and this was to determine my element structure or how the sort yes. of my element breakdown. Can yes. you help people understand what the heck is significant about someone walking and why yes. the way they walk to tell you something about yes. how they are? Yes. So the Chinese, you know, many of us have heard of yin and yang, and we kind of know that those are opposites, but most of us don't even know what yin and yang really means. And yang is things that are up and out and expressive, and yin are things that kind of are quiet and condensed and downward. But what they did is they they said, well, that's just two things. That That's too simplistic. We, we can't describe all of nature with two things. We need five things, five things to describe all of nature. Because like some things are rising up and expanding, and but they do it differently. Like some things go really fast and like really intense. So that would be the wood element. And then some things are kind of like rising up softly, like wafting almost like up in the air. And that would be fire. And, you know, um, I can go through each one if you want, but the, the things that are kind of like in the middle of yin and yang, that's the, the fifth extra element is, is, um, meaning not the seasons, but there's, there's another element in the middle of everything, which is neither yin or yang or both. And that's earth. And then, then things descend, right? So we, we get to the top and then things fall down again. And then are they falling down kind of like, you know, wafting gradually? That would be metal. Or are they like really getting intensely compacted and a lot of power is being generated and that would be water. So, so as, as we look at these five elements, 
Um, we, we need to apply them to everything around us, including nature, but definitely for practitioners, we need to know what element you are. That means we need to know what your energetic makeup is, your temperament. And so when I watched you walk, what I'm looking at is a lot of people might try to convince me they're wood or something else because they, they're mentally like, Ooh, I want to be wood or I want to be fire, whatever it is. Right. But when they walk, you know, the hips don't lie. Like, you know, it's <laughs> like, you know, it's like, I see it in the body and actually um, each, each element walks differently. And so what we were evaluating, Gary, is whether or not you had that wood walk, which typically has a lot of energy in the diaphragm and so much so that it's almost like that, that it puffs out a little bit and the elbows come out from the sides. And then we were also assessing, Gary, not just your first element, but we can see hints of the second and third element because you have all five elements, but in a particular order. And it helps us to know your second and third element, too, when we're working with you, especially with alchemy. Why does it help to know the second and third element? How do, how do they affect the first element? I was curious. Well, the second element is kind of like your, you know, there's so many different types of wood people, so many different types of fire people. And the second element, I, I'm like, it's it's a flavor. It's like, you know, the wood is, you know, if you eat ice cream, you're eating ice cream. It, you know, it doesn't matter what flavor. That's the first element. And then, oh, but what flavor? And that's the second element. And the third element is like, well, do, am I getting sprinkles on top or something else? You know, it's just a little tiny bit of something that's added in. And for you in particular, I think we were trying to assess whether, um, and, and now I'm trying to remember if water was second or fire. And um, I believe after you surprised me a little bit because I thought fire was second. And instead it was water. And why, why is that important? So Gary is kind of a force in the world. And um, if, if the water was third and the fire was second, you would have been a little softer. And so by putting the, the water there, it's, it's, a, it's a constant surge of energy behind this really um, lovely, assertive you know, energy in the world completely engaged. So wood on its own is just engaged. It's um, very much a leader, directive, you know, all these words, but you put water behind it and it gives it some stamina, some power that won't let up. And that's, you know, why you've reported you can do so many things and not stop. And that's the water in you. Yeah, that was really interesting to hear. Um, I, I love the idea of how, because it's, it's really kind of spot on um, from my experience. <laughs> so to hear how that water element uh, affects the first element, the wood element, which is also spot on, uh, to me, it just rings true in my experience. And so yeah. it, that, I found that really cool to have that nuance and observation of, uh, which really as a practitioner, I'm assuming can only help you uh, mm -hmm. apply a treatment even better once you know yeah. that, because you kind of nailed it. Um, yeah. And, and I guess, like you said, some people might have uh, an idea of what they'd like to be or what someone else told them they are. And so just by verbally telling you that, that's not going to be sufficient. You need to have sort of a, a, a litmus test that's more trustworthy. And that's why I really like to see the sort of walking thing. At first, I thought it was very yeah. strange. But then, <laughs> especially when I want to talk about this too, you actually at one point com compared, we, we walked side by side with your partner, Jay, and you made yes. us compare. And I almost felt like we were competing 
in some way. But uh, so here we are like race, risk walk racing down this hallway back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And um, I'm just trusting that this is not for no reason, that there's something going on here. But it, it ultimately it informed you and it informed Jay. Why yeah. did you compare us to? Just curious about that. Because you guys have similar energetics. And I was debating again whether water was second or third. And I knew if I could see you walking next to someone who I knew their elemental stack up, it would help me understand you know, the difference or the similarity between you and in this case, Jay, who happened to be there and was also helping because she's, like I said, the co-owner of the Alchemy Healing Center. And she's amazing at being able to help uh, with the five elements with her alchemical coaching work. So, so through watching that you two worked, walk together, I could see there was a subtle difference. So you two weren't the exact same. And that really helped a lot because I could see that you were pushing faster forward than she was because she doesn't have water second, but she's also wood. And so by seeing that you guys don't have sort of quite the same um, second element that really showed up in your walk. Got it. Really interesting. Yeah. And it's funny because after that, Jay asked me a few questions. She got right to the point. She asked like two questions and like, boom, boom, there he is. It's this and that. And I think she asked me uh, what I like to do for a hobby. I said, I, I, you know, I run, I've run marathons. And then she asked me, well, why do you do that? And I think I said for the challenge of it or for, you know, whatever it was, I think it was the challenge of it. And she said, yep, there he is. And, you know, I think she said wood and water. We got it right. Um, and she just kind of walked yeah. away. Like she was like, mic drop. Just kind of was like, I'm done. Mic I'm drop. done here. Yes. Yeah. I'm going back to lunch. You need it. me for anything else? Like, nope, we're good. We'll go to treatment. That's uh, it. Yeah, it was awesome. Was I it. mean, Jay's efficient, yeah, because, right? Because like the answer you gave was just so perfect and spot on because, you know, we were even wondering when we saw your walk whether water could be first and wood second. So that's why she really honed in on the particular questions. And when you said the marathon and how, and also you gave a little more information, how you ran it, what what you did to accomplish that feat of running a marathon was a typical <laughs> wood element thing and sort of um, maybe overdoing a little bit, you know, pushing yourself really hard. The challenge was really important. And then the ability and the stamina to stick with it is the water. So the, you know, the wood is like, I'm going to do something, you know, really amazing and I'm going to accept this challenge. And then the water was the one that like really gave you the stamina to get through. Yeah. And the water is also the reason why I'm going to get an MRI on Friday and have my ankle <laughs> checked out even further and see what's going on here. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I, I, I want to talk about, I'll just kind of give you sort of a brief post-mortem, right? Just talk okay, great. about what, what I've experienced after the fact. Because I was trying to look to observations to be able to, you know, uh, the rational part of me, the wood part of me wants to be able to quantify it and feel like, all right, Excellent. well, how can I, how can I give a metric of like what it, what I feel like has changed that I could, yeah. that we could maybe attribute to the treatment. And it wasn't, it's not that simple. Like, it's not like I can look and say, well, it led to X, Y, and Z directly. But I, I'll talk about, I do have since um, the middle of December when we, when I did this treatment with you, um, I do notice that there is, seems to be greater clarity in my life. And so I was already trending towards creating more clarity, but I feel like um, 
since the treatment, I've had a lot more deliberateness, a lot more uh, mm-hmm. intentionality. So there are ideas of things I need to take action on that maybe I, I wasn't, or maybe I kind of was hesitating on that have now become more clear to me. And I, I feel like more emboldened to take these actions to, uh, to kind of create even greater clarity in my life and, and create less noise, less uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I think that of all things is probably the most impactful and most profound observation that I've had is, is that mm-hmm. I'm clearing the plate further and further and being more uh, intentional in how I do that so that I'm setting myself up for even further, um, you know, spiritual work or even further sort of um, internal uh, uh, energy work that, that I feel open to, which mm. before might've been more obscure or it might've been not as obvious. Uh, so that's, that's probably the, the number one big takeaway I have is that I feel, um, empowered or, uh, mm. ready to kind of act. That's one. And, and that I could just say before. Yeah. I could also say that that's pretty typical because, You know, like, for example, the point you talked about behind your head, which is working on the unconscious stuff. So what you don't think about every day in your life is like the confusion you may feel in a day-to-day, you know, situation, maybe about like a person that you're having a relationship with or a job or, you know, you, you, you're confused. It's like, what should I do? There's, you know, and you think it's because there's different factors, but what you don't realize is some of your unconscious beliefs are at work in, in, in sort of trying to kind of manipulate your true way of being because they're from the past and they're like, oh, there's these beliefs that if I, I do that, I'm not lovable. Or if I do this, you know, it's, it's, it means I'm not worthy or, you know, these are like deep unconscious beliefs. And so when we clear those, suddenly like so much clarity comes for people because they're, they're no longer fighting in themselves against things. And then you can just say, oh, look at this situation. It's, it's obvious what I need to do. And I've known it all along, but I couldn't make myself get the clarity to do it. And that's a typical ghost point, you know, feeling afterwards. And it's only been a month, Gary. I tell people that this treatment works for three to six months. So you're, you're at the, it takes a month to sometimes really articulate what you just said. So I usually give people at least a month before they really evaluate what's changed. So it's perfect timing. And then you ask what, what's the future. So in three to six months, definitely three months, I find people's lives have changed dramatically. And six months, I feel like it's still integrating um, as we go forward. So, you know, this will continue to to kind of play out, even, even though now you can articulate it. The reason it takes time is that you have so many habits in your life that are built on those unconscious beliefs or, or other things that the treatment works on. So you have these habits like... I'm safe in the world as long as I behave like this. And and this could be anything, anything. But it's like that's some kind of weird, you know, mental state you develop maybe at the age of five, maybe at the age of 10. It doesn't matter. But I know if I behave like this, I'm safe. And then when we take that away and you don't need to do that anymore and you can still be safe, it's like, oh, 
Like I'm free. So I, now you're free to be your authentic self. It's interesting when I think about that, as we were talking about it, I started to think about the things I want to be intentional about. And it was actually stirring up right now, stirring up emotion in my chest and in my stomach, which yeah. is kind of rare for me. Not that I'm a, you know, devoid of emotion or I have a black heart or anything, but it's rare that I feel stirred up in that way. Normally mm -hmm. I feel pretty placid, pretty tranquil. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it just kind of reiterates to me, just shows to me that it's provoking what it needs to provoke. Because uh, even mm -hmm. just thinking back on my experience and the treatment and thinking back about what how it's affected me and what I feel um, empowered about, right. it's stirring up stuff. And, and the reason why a lot of the people that I talk to about... <laughs> you know, change about personal change, internal change, alchemy. Um, it, they very often can't articulate why it's so hard for them to change a certain thing. They know there's discomfort mm -hmm. there and they know that the lack of change is causing a lot of pain and suffering in their lives. But it's very, I, I find that it's not often that people articulate or are able to express, here's exactly why, I am unable to change this situation. Yeah. But when you peel it back a little bit, get to talking with, with, with them, it's to me, it's what I hear is not only is it just an obvious conceptual block, like I've got to change this, but I can't because I believe this and this and this will happen, right? And I don't know that I'm ready for that conceptually. They might even be conce they might even be thinking about what the emotional experience will be like, right? And they're, mm -hmm. they don't they're not prepared to deal with the consequences of what the right. true change that needs to happen in their lives to create happiness or create um, tranquility is. But mm -hmm. what I what I pay attention to more is that they'll 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 say that there's a feeling that comes up when they think about this. There's there's actual. So I think that if we were just intellectual beings. And we just said, hey, I know that I've got to do X, Y, and Z to make my life better. But I also know that doing X, Y, and Z is going to lead to some rough consequences for me. Maybe it's going to stir up emotion. I'm going to be really sad, despondent. I'm going to feel bad about myself, whatever. Even if it were just a concept and, and staying there, I think more people would be able to move through that. But what actually happens is not just, you don't just have that conceptual awareness that the consequences are going to happen it creates a feeling and the feeling can be gripping and, and the feeling mm -hmm. can be scary. It could be like, yeah. you know, it's a feeling in your stomach. It's a feeling in your chest, wherever you feel it in your body. But it could be something that when you think about taking these bold actions that you know or believe right. are going to change you for the better, the uncertainty of it actually creates a physiological response that feels mm -hmm. like you don't have control or feels like you, right. you know, you're just, you're so worried. It, it creates anxiety in a way that's visceral. Um, that's what I notice prevents yeah. people from taking this kind of bold action because most people don't, are not prepared to, to deal with that feeling or prepared to experience the feeling of it, not just the tan, tangible consequences of the rational. Well, if I divorce that person, that means that uh, I'm going to have 50, 50 custody with the kids and then I've got to break up my, my wealth and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's part of it. But when you're thinking about what that all looks like and mm -hmm. when you're conceiving of what that's going to play out, like the feeling that comes over you when that happens, that alone usually paralyzes people. And right. so you just say, it's not worth it. I don't, I don't want to contend with the rational reality of what that, like the on paper reality, 
but I definitely don't want to contend with the, phys- the the feelings. If I'm just having these feelings right now, thinking about it, oh my God, what's going to happen <laughs> when I do it? Um, and you know, and that's my experience too. And any any time yeah. that I've been stuck, uh, but this and and me, I would ask you, you know, and I I would ask anyone that's having that is like, what what stirred up that feeling? And we have something called the nine palaces. So if I asked you, did did it have to do with relationship? Did it have to do with your health? Did it have to do with your wealth? Like we start to name these things. Did it have to do with your creative projects? Did it have to do with travel, wisdom, your career, you know, your home? These are the, like the nine palaces. And so sometimes people can say, oh, it, that feeling came because I had a thought about my relationship. And so that helps us start to tease apart that feeling because like you said, the feeling is not really understood. And also the five elements help because remember I said that third element is kind of important and it's actually way more important than we real than you'd think because I said it's just the sprinkles on top of the ice cream. But it actually is the one where we have a lot of our negative thoughts, negative beliefs, and it's the one that we don't get to have the nice part of that element. It's it's the really bad, crappy parts of the element. And so it's, it's, it's like uh, nobody loves me or I'm a piece of crap or nobody's helping me or supporting me or, you know, I'm... Um, I'm hysterical because it's so scary or, you know, um, or I just blame, blame. It's not my fault. It's everyone else's fault, you know, that kind of thing. So those are the third elements. So the question would be when that feeling came up as I was talking, you know, which one of these might it be? That makes sense. Yeah. I was about to ask you like, so what then is the significance of knowing which palace it is? But then you just described it perfectly that, um, that it kind of gives you a sense of the origin of it. And so you can kind of work with that even further if you're able to kind of yeah. label it for what it is. Right. That makes sense. Um, yeah, so so I just love the fact that it, this is a treatment, this is a, 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 not just the treatment, but also alchemy at large. It's intended to work with these unnamed, visceral, primal sometimes feelings that we have in our bodies that we are often mm-hmm. unconscious to that can right. control so much for us. Like right. the fact that that we're unconscious to it and um, we remain stuck in our habitual patterns that provide us in our mind safety or security, even if they're really not, even if they're not serving us. Mm-hmm. And very often that's mm-hmm. the case. Very often people mm-hmm. think their patterns, their ha- habits is are their comfort zone. And that is the thing they yeah. can cling to to provide them security and safety. Um, yeah. The idea that we, we need to shake that up at the, at the vis, I say visceral, at the visceral level, at the physiological level mm-hmm. yeah. is so, in, is so um, logical to me. It's so intuitive to me, right? It just feels right because you can't get mm-hmm. at that with words. You can't get at that with uh, providing somebody the concepts or the rational, if it's unconscious, what the heck does it matter that I'm going to tell you what's going on? Like that doesn't matter. You could we could right. talk about it till we're blue in the face, but if I don't, if I'm not conscious to it, and yep. every time it appears, I'm just like, there it is again, and I don't know what to do with it. Then what good is pointing it out or just mm-hmm. putting words to it? We got to do something that's going to vibrate it. It's going to shake it up. It's going to change the flow of it, and that's why I love alchemy. That's why I love um, 
having learned about it. That's why I love Chinese medicine in, in, in whole, as a whole and Taoist principles yeah. as a whole, because they're focused on shaking us up in this way. It's not about, it's like yeah. talk is cheap kind of thing, you know, yep. which um, is kind of funny because I'm a philosopher at heart and I'm somebody who values talk <laughs> and I value rationality and I value intellect, yeah. Yeah. but I've also become fully aware of how unconscious I've been to certain things and how, reifying my intellect, reifying my, my rationality has actually created greater problems for me, has created further reliance on habitual patterns that were not serving yes. me because you find yes. ways to rationalize them. Um, and and so. actually the ghost points are amazing for breaking up the habitual patterns and the def, very definition in Chinese medicine of aging is developing habits of being that you are rigidly stuck to. And then, you know, as you get more and more and more of those, think of an elderly person who's very sort of stuck in their ways. That's that's the very definition of aging. And so in alchemy, the, the ghost points kind of clear a lot of that away, get you back to like a blank slate. And then we do more alchemy after that. This isn't the, the goal of alchemy isn't just to clear, it's to evolve. And so as you work through stages of alchemy, I wanted to point out that stage four of alchemy is the child's mind where you let go of all those habits of thinking and all those beliefs where, you know, if I walk this way, you know, my back doesn't hurt or, you know, whatever. And so that's in a very adult way of habitually being in the world. A child's jumping all around and doing, <laughs> doing skipping and, you know, they don't, they don't walk in a habitual way. They don't think in a habitual way. They don't see the world in a habitual way. And so the 13 ghost points is, is just the first step on clearing away some of this baggage that we're carrying. <laughs> it's so interesting that the Chinese refer to aging that way, because I've been noticing um, a lot of folks that are, you know, getting up there in age around me and my kind of inner circle where they're, they're I, I wonder what this, what this phenomenon of clinging to rigid ideologies is. I see that when you'd think that from my experience, it's more often that as people grow older, they tend to grow even more uh, reliant on their righteousness and they have, they have, they're more emboldened in being right. And they're more emboldened in who they are from an identity perspective and they're less flexible in um, being open to new ideas, having their ideas challenged or even trying new things. And mm -hmm. I, I automatically equate that with aging. I automatically think that that's a really not, yeah. these are not great qualities. These are not going to help you grow as a human. Mm -hmm. um, I do my best to constantly self-analyze and say, well, what can I change? How can I be open to, others criticism and and not take offense to it, not get defensive, right. um, but allow it to sort of inform where I'm, where I'm rigid, where I have, and how can I be flexible? And I, yeah. you know, it's a battle because um, it's, I think we tend towards safety and safety for us means I need to know what my identity looks like and I need to have firm beliefs. Um, and in my experience, that just doesn't, doesn't work out very well the more I do that. So when I, I noticed that I, I'm a little, I recoil from people that are more emboldened in that way, or at least yeah. I steer the conversation to something safe because right. I feel like there's so many unsafe areas that you can go where someone's going to feel <laughs> threatened and I don't want right. to, you know, I don't want people to feel threatened. So very often, right. um, 
I'll just know who I have to kind of tiptoe away from. Uh, but then I also realized just recently, actually, on social media, I've been, for whatever reason, and this nails it, there's a few stories in the last few days of of older folks who are trying new things. So there's this guy who's like 84, who's an amazing <laughs> skateboarder in the UK. And I'm watching him and I'm like, this is awesome. He just like, yeah, he's like, I just picked it up two years ago at 82. And he's like doing things on the skateboard that I could never, ever do. And I used to skateboard for years as a kid. And it's just so fun to watch the guy. And he said, yeah, I was always an inline skater. Always. He picked it up 15 years earlier. So when he was 67. So he didn't even do any skating until 67 where he started rollerblading. And then he became a great rollerblader. And then at 82, his friends were like, you should skateboard. And he just picked up a skateboard. And now he's doing that. Um, and I thought this is unbelievable. And then, then That's another an story. That's yeah, <laughs> an story. alchemist. Yeah. That is an alchemist. There's a woman Pretty I true. follow on Twitter who... Um, I'm into NFTs, as you know, and, and I'm into yes. cryptocurrency. And I think there's a lot of uh, interesting use cases and a lot of change to be had around that stuff. And so there's this, and it's known to be like, I'm like a grandfather in that space. Like it's known to be a young person's space, the NFT space in particular. It's a lot yeah. of young creatives. Uh, the devs, the developers that are working on it tend to be younger. It's the lingo that's used is like, you know, like young people lingo. It's like a lot of like street culture stuff. It's it's And so... I love it. Um, but for me, it's like challenging my, it's, it's learning new things and it's challenging my patterns and challenging my awareness of what things are. There's a woman in the space who's, I think, 80, 81. She's, um, she's sitting there. I saw this image of her on Twitter and her daughter is created the, uh, created the NFT sort of like process for her, but she's the artist and she's using 3D art. She's using a program called Blender, which is really familiar to people in the 3D art world and the NFT world. Taking like one of these like pens and using it on like a tablet and shading and creating this amazing 3D art, which is mostly done by like super young developers. And she's doing this to needle points that she created in her life like 30, 40, 50 years ago that never sold for anything because she never had a platform. And here she is like wow. tweeting. Like here I am busting out my my newest NFT and she's got a huge collection of NFTs. Um, and I just have been, I've been gravitating to these people because I'm like, this is the image of evolution that I yeah. think is so impressive and what I yeah. value the most. And it makes sense that the Chinese would see, see it this way. It's like you age if you stay rigid. And if in these yeah. people's cases, they're alchemists, right? They're not aging. Exactly. They're, 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 their years are getting up there, but they're staying fresh. They're challenging what they know to be normal and true and good. And so they're, they're just doing yes. different things. That's why the alchemist theoretically could be immortal because, you know, that the truth is if we could figure out how to regenerate ourselves, you know, we're not on this, this ever ending path towards our demise. If we're able to, you know, continuously become that child again, become that child again. And, you know, inline skater for 15 years got old. So now I'm skateboarder, you know, it's like, you're regenerating yourself. So you're literally regenerating the cells in your body when you're, when you're being flexible enough to be a new person. So that's the idea. Yeah. I, um, man, I was just out of curiosity, how many, not getting into HIPAA violations here, but how many people have come to you that are, that are above the age of 65? Do you see that often or is it, is it, Yes, yeah, certainly. I would say maybe 20%. Yeah, a lot. That's pretty cool. Yeah. There are people at that age that are doing their best to try to provoke themselves uh, and feel the vibrational. Some, 
Yeah, some of the most wonderful stories I've had are people in their 80s. And the reason that's the case is because if they're really motivated to do this work, they are in a unique, often a unique position like retirement where they don't have to be beholden to society or to family or to, you know, they really are uniquely in this position to be whoever they want to be. And so that's the beauty of, you know, age um, in our culture is we give them a lot of leeway. And I think some of the hardest things for them is when they're Younger relatives are saying you should be, you know, breaking down and you should go into a home and you should do this. And they're like thriving. And I, I literally have some of their relatives saying, I'm mad at you. You you should be not, you know, not you should go to a home and like, you know, give up. <laughs> and, and and like siblings get mad because the older one is doing the alchemy and the younger one is falling apart. And they're like, how come you're not falling apart? <laughs> it's really interesting. So it's, it, it is that life affirming and life giving to, to change your mind, not just your body, you know, to really work on the mind. Yeah, that's beautiful. I have, there are a few, exa- a few examples of those kinds of people in my life. And they honestly give me strength. They give me a lot yeah. of, ins- not just inspiration, but yeah. they give me strength. I draw strength from from their examples because yeah. if they're able to do it at 85, 90, 90 plus, then yeah. uh, I damn sure should be able to, you know, when, when exactly. I, I have all my faculties uh, about me and, and they have a lot of more impediments than I do in, in some ways. And they still don't see those. They don't, they don't let them define them. I love that. Um, I want to talk about what happens next. So typically if someone you see comes to you for a, a ghost points treatment, is it different what you recommend next? Is there a typical protocol? Like I know that you have the palace work that can be done as far as the, for folks that don't know what that is in, in the alchemy process, you can start to actually hone in and focus on different areas of your, uh, of your sort of being to then do additional work. Like, what do you, what's this, what's the next step? Okay. So, you know, the ghost points, again, we're trying to get back to a blank slate, meaning what is your authentic self without all the baggage and trauma that you had, but particularly the really bad stuff. And then, you know, that's, that's a one day treatment. Again, it it lasts for three to six months, the unfolding of it. But during that time, we can begin something that I call the nine stages of alchemy. And this is a Taoist philosophy that we can kind of walk a road where we're continuously evolving. So, you know, a lot of people who've been studying Buddhism, they talk about enlightenment. So the Taoists might not use exactly that phrase, but it's a little bit like we're cultivating a garden, cultivating ourselves to be, you know, better and better in ourselves. We can think of it as states of awareness. So when we say awake and aware, what does that really mean? It means that you're stepping out of like the lower level state of awareness would be a state of fear. And then, you know, you're working your way up to where you may be accessing um, the sages of, of old, like, you know, they're, they're, you know, 
you're downloading, you know, information, you know, there's all kinds of levels of awareness when we say awake and aware. And these stages walk you through that. So the first stage of alchemy is just really getting your, um, taking advantage of that ghost points treatment and just really making life feel easy, which, you know, for most people, life is hard. And so what would it be like to feel ease? And then the second stage is a little bit like a ghost point treatment in that it's also working on letting go of stuff. But in this case, we second stage, we protect ourselves all the time. And so that has a lot to do with our heart and we're protecting our heart and our chest. And so the second stage of alchemy is really, you know, allowing ourselves to stop needing to protect and that's, you know, that's difficult. So sometimes we bring in another long treatment similar to the ghost points, which I call, I nicknamed the loving yourself treatment, or I also call it the heart pains treatment. You mentioned the, the nine palaces. So that has to, a lot to do with the heart pains treatment. All the areas where you might be carrying heart pain. A little different than the ghost points, which are more severe. The heart pains is really just an invitation to open your heart truly, truly be vulnerable in the world, but not in a way that you're, you know, you're going to get hurt. And then we move on and there's more stages. I mentioned stage four, which is like being a child. Stage five is like being the wise person. And stage six is really like living completely spontaneously, like you're free and easy, but in a way that um, you're, 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 the metaphor is that you're flying in your life. And I say it's like living your full potential. And, and so those are some of them. There's nine of them, but I just gave you the highlights. And there's a few other treatments. Some people are grieving. We need to do a grieving treatment. There's, there's others as well in alchemy. But those are the main, you know, that's sort of the typical path people take. And the ghost points treatments informs where you go next. Is that right? Yeah, so. yeah. Um, I almost always start with a ghost point treatment, but some people don't have a lot of trauma. So we just start doing the other work right away and see if we need a ghost points treatment. And that's fine. We can do that. Um, but the ghost points really help us sort of pinpoint the the major areas. Like, you know, when when you and I worked, that that point that you mentioned, it means that there's some unconscious stuff there. And so when we get to stage two of alchemy, Gary, then we may uncover that in a whole different way than we did in the ghost points. Makes sense. I look forward to that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so here we're, we're kind of coming up on the end of the, uh, the hour here. I just wanted okay. to find out if um, I love the fact that we were able to unpack this and hopefully walking through it from the experiential perspective I had and the experiential perspective you had uh, informed some people greater than just an abstract intellectual discussion of what this treatment might look like. Um, is there, uh, so, so I know kind of what lies ahead and, I, and you know, you know, we'll obviously probably unpack this further and we'll have more discussions about this. And I, <clears throat> I love, I love learning about this because um, like I said, it impacted me physiologically. So I know it's significant. I know it's, there's something telling me, oh, there's work to be done here. And as somebody who loves to always be able to say like, I've done the work, like, or, you know, I've, I'm finished. Like, yeah, I've arrived. Uh, it's, it's challenging to admit that it's challenging to say, oh, there's still stuff there going on. But I realized yeah. as you, you mentioned Buddhism and I'm sure, uh, Taoists think this too, 
there's always work to be done, right? You know, you're always sort of evolving to a degree, um, mm -hmm. at least in this physical, visceral, physical world where we're carrying these vessels. Maybe you can arrive at that point where you've reached enlightenment or you've reached the Taoist um, version of enlightenment. But most of us have things to work with, even if we think we're doing a good job, even if we <laughs> believe that we've done a lot of work. Like in my case, and you said, you know, during our treatment, I did, I have seen a lot of practitioners um, in different areas uh, working with the body and uh, not just the body, but working with the mind as well. And so there are a lot of these obscure dark spots that I have kind of got into with others and have tried to excavate. Um, but even still, you know, there's more, I know, I know there's more to be done and there's no shame in that, right? It's, it's not mm -hmm. like we should feel bad about that. That's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's um, the conditions that we're born into the world with and we do our best to work with them. And, and that's really all there is to it. Um, yeah, one of the ghost points is guilt and shame. It's all about guilt and shame. And I don't meet a single person who doesn't have shame about something. I mean, it it's almost impossible to be on this planet and not feel like, you know, shame or guilt or, you know, any of these negative feelings like, oh, I want to hide that. It's called ghost hidden. So, you know, so yeah, I mean, then there's no shame. If, if everyone has shame, then there's no shame in having shame. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect what you said. Yeah. It's ironic that we don't, we're not aware of that fact, but yeah. it's totally true. So yeah. I, we don't have any advertisers here on the soul pod and Lita has never put me up to talking about her place, but I just want to, I I'm so, uh, I love it so much. And I think there's so much value into people doing this work that I just want to continue to plug you again and just say that Thank people you. should check out the alchemy healing center in Northampton, Massachusetts. Look up Lita Herman. We have the websites will be in the show notes as you, as always listen to her podcast with Jay, her partner. It's called inspired action podcast where she goes, they go way into further detail on a lot of these topics mm -hmm. or the topic of the day, right? You talk about kind yes. of what, and it's a light, fun, interesting, inspiring yes. podcast with a lot of great energy. So even if yes. you just want to pick me up, you want to, you know, even if you don't, you kind of can't wrap your head around some of these concepts or you don't have the time to listen to many, many sessions, you could just kind of get right into one of them and yes. feel uh, it, it'll energize you. And so I've listened to a bunch of it and I love it. Um, which is okay. why Lita obviously is such a pro on when she's a guest on the podcast because she does such a great <laughs> job on her on her podcast. But yeah. uh, anything you would like to plug about uh, your education, your your courses, or anything yeah. else? Yeah. So we have something called the Alchemy Learning Center, and we started this uh, right near the beginning of the pandemic. Pandemic because you know we've been teaching live for years. We teach practitioners. We teach lay people. We teach pretty much anyone who wants to know about alchemy. And once the pandemic hit, we were like, oh, we, we moved everything online, of course, like everyone else. And we created the Alchemy Learning Center, but we're really excited about it, not just because it's online, but because it's a place where, where people who think like we do, we can all kind of get together because we think so unusually that it can feel sometimes lonely in the world. Because oftentimes when you start to embrace these concepts, people around you, they're just working on fear and, and, you know, habits and all the things we talked about. And they're just, they, you know, and then you come along and say, Hey, it doesn't have to be like that. And they're like, yeah, it does. <laughs> so, so, yeah. you know, you, you need some compadres, some people who can like help you and hold your hand and just be around. And so the Alchemy Learning Center is a place where we have online classes, meditations, 
We uh, also have apprenticeships where you can, um, as a practitioner, learn this, which we're really taking this worldwide. We've got people from other countries now that are really interested in joining us other continents. And then we also have... um, uh, a lot of classes, just like a five elements class, like, oh, what's this five elements stuff about? And it's for anyone. So we're, we're and, and the apprenticeship, if you love that kind of work and you're not a practitioner, you can still do the apprenticeship because the parts that are relevant to anyone's life, we, we allow those people to listen in and understand that as for their own self, you know, cultivation or because they're like a life coach or they work with people. Maybe they're a manager of people or they, you know, I, I think the, the best job to, to learn this stuff would be like people working in the um, acting industry, you know, people who are trying to, you know, you know, maybe, um, act or even, you know, direct or, you know, any of these, these uh, functions where you're trying to understand the nature of people. So that's that, all that is in the Alchemy Learning Center. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I personally have to check this out too. When I kind of get a little less busy than I've been lately, I, I would love to put some time into taking a look and see what, what courses you've developed there. So yeah. I will definitely head over there. Uh, and well, we try to make it fun, you know, just like the podcast. Some of the classes are kind of funny and fun and they're entertaining. They're, they're not hard. They're not like, ah, I got to get through this material. They're, they're quite entertaining. So That's great. Yeah. <laughs> and not having it be dense and, and uh, too academic or too rigid, I think is going to, uh, yeah. won't scare people off the way that, that it would if you did that. So, uh, exactly. and this is, like you said, it's life, right? So it's fun stuff we should be kind of taking lightly kind of anyway, right? The, the treatments yeah. might be significant and have grave impact, but we need yes. to be kind of light about the way we orient ourselves to, to ourselves and to, to the treatments and to knowledge and study, right? It's, also, it's supposed to be fun. Um, I think my job is to make it accessible. Mm. And sometimes, you know, my teachers are, are very heady and they're wonderful, but you have to know a lot of background to get anything out of it. So that's not going to help you to go to some of my teachers, you know, of over the many years. So what I do is I take all that and translate that into day-to-day language that would make sense and appropriate for your life. So, so even like the elements class is so simplistic and yet very profound, but it's easy to listen to and, and access. So that's kind of my role in the world, I think. Yeah, I can appreciate that. that. I mean, that's really what... The listener I'm kind of and, and the viewer I'm trying to reach with the soul pod is people who yeah, exactly. want access to these different types of methods that they might not have an awareness about and they can instantly access it to to impact yes. their day right then and there. Yeah. And that I think yeah. there's it's an underserved demographic, I think. And so yeah. there's a lot of great value in in spending your time yeah. and energy in that space. So yeah, when thank I, you when I, for that. Yes, thank you. When I first learned the five elements, the first thing I said is everyone needs to know this stuff. Everybody needs to know this. Why is it just being taught to a select few? So mm. that's, yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Thanks so much, Lita. Okay. Uh, as always, can't wait to see you again next time. I had yes. an amazing time at your treatment. And, Wonderful. Um, it impacted me in a, in a profound way. And I can great. say that with total full veracity of my body and, and mind. So I appreciate that. Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, I look forward to doing more with you. That'd be yeah, great. Yeah. Y'all go check Lita <laughs> out. Northampton, Massachusetts, <laughs> Alchemy Healing Center. Take care. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. <laughs>